on to, to Philippians. Uh, this is our, our book of Philippians we've been working through, and uh, today we're looking at Philippians chapter 3, the first few verses of that. I know uh, last week, I know uh, uh, Lee was here talking about the last part of chapter 2, about working our salvation out uh, with the help of God. I, I know it was a great one because people were texting me saying, you've got to listen, you've got to listen to this, and uh, I will as soon as it's up, I'll be listening to it. Um, so that was an excellent time. But we're looking at chapter 3 because Paul is bringing us through to a, another foundational truth. And so Sarah's going to just come up for us now and just read through the passage. So I'll put it on the screen as well if you don't have your Bibles here. Uh, but it's uh, chapter 3, uh, 1 through to the 11th verse. So just follow it through if you can. Thanks, Sarah. You're right. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Sarah, that last little bit there. Phil is Philippians, not Phil Haddo, in case anybody is not writing scripture at the moment. But just, uh. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We love your word. And we want to conform ourselves to your word. Lord, we want to pursue you in your word. And Lord, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit, you'd make your word alive to us and cause us to learn something more of your heart for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. So, this is a, another foundational truth that Paul wants to launch us into, and really it's found in the first verse there, really, where Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. A wonderful exhortation, and actually one that's totally in line with the nature of who our God is. You need to keep remembering that our God is a joyful God. Jesus radiated joy. Yes, it's true at times. He could know grief and he would grieve with people and have compassion. It's true also that he could be angry and tell off the pharisaical teachers of the day. But in himself, listen, in himself, he was a man of joy. It says in Hebrews chapter 1 that God anointed him with the oil of joy beyond his companions. As someone has once said, he was the happiest man on earth. 
He was anointed with the oil of joy beyond all others. And that's so obvious because people from every background just wanted to be with him. Whatever their background, whatever their age, children loved to clamber all over him. They were attracted. He was attractive to people because of his joy as well as because of other things. But it was also his joy, which is very unlike how Jesus is often portrayed in the films. There's one portrayal that used to really get to me was from the 1970s, a famous Jesus film in its day. had many good things about it, but the, but the portrayal of Jesus, well, it was terrible. You may remember it. Here it is here. And... Uh, and he looked kind of miserable for that, throughout the whole film. And uh, he looks like that basically throughout the whole thing. He has incredibly piercing blue eyes that never blinked. And I know that because I watched the whole film to see if he would blink. And he doesn't. <laughs> and he sits there like this looking around and basically telling everybody off. And uh, no joy, and, uh, uh, it seems to me. And, uh, and you have, he would have frightened adults away, let alone children, it seems to me. Uh, but you may have enjoyed that film, so please carry on enjoying it. I'm not trying to say don't enjoy the film, but uh, portrayal of Jesus, I don't see any joy there. Uh, no, Jesus overflowed with joy. And actually, as his followers, we're called to find our, our joy in him. That's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. He repeats it again and again. It's an exhortation. Find your joy in him. Let his joy be in you. It's strong. And actually, as you read on through the rest of the passage, you'll see that this is really, really what this passage is about. How to find your joy in God, how to nurture it as a lifestyle, how to protect it and keep it at the forefront of our lives. And to be honest, I think that's a great thing to learn, don't you? In a world that promises false joy all the time, actually, it's good to learn where true joy is found. And uh, so let's look at what Paul goes on to say here because it's interesting. In fact, it's fascinating because the first thing he does is he lays out what will steal your joy if you're not careful. First thing he does. So he begins, he begins, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. It's pretty strong, isn't it? This is strong stuff. Watch out for you dogs. Who's he referring to? Who are these dogs who will steal your joy? Well, when it comes down to it, they are dogs of religiosity and external empty performance. Because that's what these guys were about. They were Jews who had accepted Jesus, but who were now calling Christians to come back to the Mosaic law, to to follow the old covenant rituals and practices like getting circumcised. So they were saying, yeah, Jesus, yes, yes, we believe too. Jesus, yeah, but there are some things you need to do as well. There are some practices you'll need to put in place. There There are some traditions you will need to follow. And the trouble was, was that whole churches, like the Galatian church, was listening to this and beginning to drift back into an external, dry, performance-based religion with set times of prayer and and set festivals to attend and ceremonies to follow and and set foods to eat and and set laws to follow and, and set things to do like getting circumcised. Which doesn't sound very joyful to me, especially the last bit. We want to, we want to want to put that on our on our church site, would we? You know, we are King's Church. Come, but you must be circumcised. I mean, not many would turn up. I suggest. But this is what these teachers were pushing, and it was producing a dry, lifeless, legalistic, fleshly religion, as Paul refers to it, fleshly religion. Now, 
The good thing is, of course, is that we don't have teachers coming through here and teaching stuff like that, praise God. But listen, we do need to be aware of the danger of drifting down that path, though, in our own lives, don't we? Because we can do that quite easily. We can allow our faith to drift into empty, empty performance. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, sometimes just through stuff, through raising children, through paying the bills, through keeping up with stuff, you know, distractions and even entertainment, it is easy to allow our faith to drift into the background more and more and become just a religious practice. Yeah, we can find ourselves going through the motions, doing stuff because we've always done stuff like that. So we uh, turn up on Sunday because, well, it's what we always do. And the person greets us at the door and they say, how are you? We say, fine, thank you. Hallelujah! Because we've always said hallelujah. Uh, and so we carry on through and we stand when we're told to stand. We begin to sing the songs because we sing the songs. And we, and we, we serve because someone's asked us to serve. And we're going through, through the motions. But quietly inside, there's just not life going on anymore. It's kind of empty. It's just, here we go again, it's what we do. Even on our own, our quiet times can become a little dry, a little routine, because we have to, have to please God. We have this sense of having to curry favor, get credit. It's like the outer shell is still there, but the life is gone on the inside. It's like the house is still there, but the lights are switched off, there's no one at home. And, and that's what happens in our faith as we quietly become those who walk on a religious treadmill. We just go through the motions. I just want to ask you this morning, has anybody felt like that before? Yeah, because I sure have. There have been moments, there have been times. And for some of us, it's worse than others. I mean, I'm amazed how many burnt-out believers I'm coming across these days. You know, good folks who've worked hard doing religious things, keeping up with the expectations and the appearances, doing the stuff that they were asked to do, and they carry on, and they carry on, and the life goes out on the inside. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe there's one or two of you who feel like that. I've, I've been on this treadmill for years, and I'm tired on the inside. Well, in a sense, the teaching of these Jewish teachers was encouraging or propagating that kind of religion. Yeah, Jesus, yes, we believe, but look, there are routines to follow. There are appearances to keep up. And, and Paul won't have a bar of it, all right, or a bar of those who teach it. He takes these guys apart. He says, you dogs, you dogs. And then he tells his own story because it's personal for him. So he goes on to say, well, look, if someone else thinks they have reasons to, to perform or put confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more. And he, and he kind of goes through his advantages in the flesh. Circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee that's right up there, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, I did it all. I did all this. I Ethically, I had the advantage, but hey, I ticked all the boxes. I worked hard. I kept up appearances. I was the ultimate performer. As to the law, faultless. I did everything. That's what he's saying. But then he throws in the bombshell. And the bombshell is simply this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
In other words, all this external religious stuff I gave myself to is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Knowing the person of Jesus. In fact, he goes on to say, he says, For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. In other words, everything pales in comparison to knowing him, because that's the crucial thing. It's knowing him. That's his passion. Paul's yearning, his joy is not in religiosity. It's in a person. In fact, he goes on to cry out in verse 10. He simply says, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, I want to know him wherever he is, whether it's in moves of power or whether it's in times of suffering. Bring it on. I want to know him. He is my joy, whatever else befalls, good or bad. That's Paul's passion, and it's a beautiful thing. And let me tell you, whenever you see someone who actually walks that out, especially in times of suffering, let me tell you, it's very, very powerful. Many years ago now, it seems to me, I had a very good friend who was an elder in another church that was nearby where I was at the time, lovely, godly, godly man. And I still remember the shock we all felt when we heard that his 18-year-old son passed away. Uh, through an illness, sudden illness, he just died. And uh, I remember we were all in shock at the time. And, uh, of course, he went to the funeral. Uh, The hall was packed. His friends came in from miles around to support this family and to grieve over this this boy. And uh, they had the graveside ceremony beforehand, but they'd all come on to the church for the funeral. And uh, I still remember very clearly, a very emotional time. The place was packed. There were tears. There were, there were songs being sung. Every now and then somebody would come up and, and give a memory of this lad who had died. It was very, very moving. But you know what the most profound time was when he himself, this father, stood up. And he, and he came over and picked up a guitar, actually. <laughs> he picked up his guitar. And he, tears were streaming down his face. And he just began to play on this guitar in front of everybody. And the song he sang, some of you will know the song. It's quite a well-known song. Uh, It begins like this. He was singing it. All I once held dear, built my life upon. All this world reveres and wars to own. He's playing. All I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. And then the chorus goes, knowing you, Jesus knowing you. There is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. The father had just buried his son and he sings this incredible song. And I felt so humbled at the time because what I saw was a man whose passion for Jesus trumped everything even suffering, whose final joy when it was all taken away was to know him. And this is Paul's longing for the church, not external ritual, but passion for a person. Listen, our our joy in God does not come from doing religious things. It comes from yearning to know him more. During the worship time, those wonderful phrases that we've been saying step by step, we're pressing in to know him more. 
precious, precious thing. Not knowing about him, but knowing him as a person, our hearts connecting with his, receiving his love, there's nothing greater, no greater joy. And that's what Paul's really saying way back in verse 3 of this passage. He says, beware of the dogs. Beware of external religion going through the motions. Then he says this in verse 3. He says, we're the true circumcision. That is, we're the true for followers. He says, it is we who are the circumcision. That is, true followers of Jesus. Why? Because we worship by the Spirit and we glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, we know him, because that's what these phrases really mean. They are expressions of intimacy. You want to know him, learn to worship by the Spirit and glory in the person of Jesus. You want to build a life that isn't religious and dry, full of the joy of the Lord. Well, learn what it means to worship by the Spirit. Let that become our primary activity and focus. I just want to put it out there, you see, that the most intimate way we have of engaging with the person of Jesus is to worship by the Spirit. Why? Because we are engaging with him firsthand in person, not via some bureaucracy of religion. It's going straight through. Can I just say this? This is far bigger than we think. You see, to worship by the Spirit is to worship in his presence. We've had that word several times this morning. Because that's who the Spirit is. He's the living presence of God upon the earth. So, so now hang in. I want to just share something with you. Did you know that in the Old Testament, there's actually no Hebrew word for this word at all? Presence of God. There's no Hebrew word for that, for that concept. It's not that God didn't come down and move among them. He did. It's just that they had no word to describe that to be in the presence of God. And so to get across what it meant, what it looked like and what it felt like, they had to dream up another word. And so they began to search through words that could best describe what it was like to have God walking amongst them. And they finally came up with a word, and the Hebrew word they chose is this one. It means face. So in the Old Testament, instead of the word presence of God, you often find the word face of God. And that's what it refers to. And often the word face and presence are interchangeable in our modern versions of the scripture. So, so for instance, uh, in Psalm 105 in the NIV, it says, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. Whereas in the ESV, the same verse says, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. In other words, they're interchangeable. They mean the same thing. And so a passage like Psalm, the 27th Psalm, when the psalmist says to God, your face, Lord, will I seek. All right, He's not talking about some theoretical face in heaven. He's talking about the presence of God upon earth. That's what he's referring to. In other words, they understood that the presence of God coming among his people was personal, relational and intimate. It was like the face of God was turning towards them. It was like they were getting his full attention. It was the only way they could describe it. And it's a great way to describe it because it's like whenever the presence of God is among us, look, it's not a force. It's not a feeling. No, it's like you, you suddenly get the face of God turning to you. That's kind of what it's like. It's like you've suddenly got the full attention of the Godhead. It's like Jesus himself coming into the room. Hold on a second. He is by his spirit. It's personal. 
And so as we worship, and Jesse's leading us earlier, it's wonderful, really, the sense of the presence of God. And I'm thinking as we're worshiping, Lord, it's your face. We stand before you. It's like your face is turned to us. I have your full attention. Hallelujah. The face of the Father is on me. It's like, God, I have your full attention. Look, when you're on your own, you may be tired. The kids may have been up during the night. It may be a really rough time. But even as you begin to worship, look, you've got a choice. You can either go through the motions or you can worship by the Spirit. You can come before the face of God. And I know which one I choose. And so as you begin to worship, thanking him, praising him, singing to him psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as Paul says, understand the face of God is towards you. It's a beautiful, life-giving thing. You know, as a, grand, as a granddad these days, I'm often in the same room as small, small infants, you know, children running around my feet these days, which is great. I had that since our kids were small. And uh, every now and then the kids are over at our place and they could be playing with the toys and I'm often playing with them. But there are moments when the kids are playing quietly on their own, brief moments, but playing on their own, and I'm sitting down in a chair just reading a book or watching the TV. But before long, I get a little tap on my knee and I look down and I see the face of Ellie Mae looking up at me. And it's amazing because the minute I see her face, heart melts, Pick her up, hug, it's love. That's the same response we get from the face of God. His face turns to you, draws the same response. Listen, to worship by the Spirit, to worship in His presence, to worship before His face is life-giving, it's refreshing, it's replenishing, it's healing, and it's joy-giving. You may well say, well, what do we do about that? How do we do that? Well, well, because of that, because it's joy-giving, you know what I will do? I will soak myself in his word. I will put time aside to pray. I will seek him in prayer. I will fast. I will soak myself in the word of God. Amen. You might well say, well, that's an external religion. Is it? No, it's not. It's me simply positioning myself to see the face of God Hallelujah. and to receive his love. It's not dead religion. It's life. It's life. Hallelujah. Jesus came to save us from dead religion and to bring us to life in the Spirit. Let's not settle for anything less than that. So finally, brothers, I say, and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Easy for me to say again, it's a safeguard for you. It's where we get our strength. It's where we get our freedom. It's where we get our refreshment. Let's stand, shall we? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Life in the Spirit. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Let's just put our hands out for a moment, shall we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I wonder if we have a guitar or somebody up here for a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. Just want to, as we're standing, just forget about the person next to you, but you know what it is like sometimes to go through the motions. 
This is a call out to any here this morning, and you know what it is to feel like I'm running on empty and have been running on empty for some time. It is easy for our faith to drift back into empty religion. That's why it's a safeguard, Paul says. You need to be on guard. That I might know him, that we might hunger for him. Come, Holy Spirit, even now I pray, just come. And where you feel like you've been kind of working hard, working hard, and the lights have gone out on the inside, I just want to encourage you for a moment or two just to raise your hands. Let's just raise our hands. There's one or two here this morning, and you would say, yes, it would describe me to say, burnout. That's you this morning. Allow the face of God to turn to you. The presence of God. Come, Holy Spirit, even now. He wants to restore, refresh, and bring life and set you back on a course that isn't going through the motions but it's full of the joy of the Lord. It's our inheritance in God. Too many burnt out believers. Come Holy Spirit, I pray even now, we just invite you, we welcome you, we turn to you, we know you're already turning to us. So Lord, we turn to you and we lay down. all the stuff we've been trying so hard. And we come back afresh to you. Lord Jesus, you're the one who said, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy. My burden is light. Lord, we come to you, Lord Jesus, and we receive from you life by the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray. We love you, Lord. We worship by the Spirit and we glory in the Son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just as we're worshiping, we're just quietly standing before Him. You know, there's a heart that says, Lord, I turn away from dead works. I turn away from the stuff that has drained me. I turn away from keeping up appearances. I turn away from spinning the plates. I turn to you and I receive life. And I give myself afresh to you who gives me life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. More, Lord, more of your spirit, I pray. Hallelujah, he's here. Thank you, Jesus. One or two of you, he's calling back to himself. You've been out there for a long, long time. I'm calling you back. Hallelujah. 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 Jesse's going to lead us in a final song. Maybe one that we sang earlier, Jesse. One of those songs. Hallelujah. And as he does...
allow that song to become a vehicle by which you can come back to him and realign your life to pursue the person of Jesus and his love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We worship you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.